Thanks, Dave. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Yeah, thank you. My family and I have returned from uh, a couple weeks in Montana, which is where I grew up, if you didn't know that, and where my family is, and uh, spent a lot of time there. It was great to be with my family, my, see my mom, and, uh, and then my dad and my brother and his wife. So um, it's been great. Thank you for, the, for allowing us to be on respite and to do that, and uh, certainly appreciate those who filled in for me at the pulpit and, uh, and for all of you. <clears throat> who have really stepped up to care for one another well. I've, I keep hearing lots of stories of people who, who say, my, my church family is so great. It's not about a pastor or a musician or administrator or secretary, right? The church is about the living, breathing people of God being the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So keep on loving and serving each other well. Keep on uh, taking care of one another. That's, uh, that's what it's all about. We're, we're glad to, uh, to be able to go, trusting that we are doing that here <clears throat> as a church family. Happy Mother's Day for you moms out there. Happy Mother's Day. It's, uh, uh, let me just say, uh, moms, you rock, all right? Uh, moms are amazing, amazing, amazing individuals who, um, who put up with way, way more than they need to and who love and encourage and support and, uh, and care uh, for and nurture those around them, especially their children. And, uh, and I don't know about you guys, gentlemen, but my jaw is just always dropping to the women around me, to my wife included in that, to the amazing, amazingness that, uh, that is a mother, right, and how, how you care for your children and care for your, your families and your household. So uh, thank you for that. We, we, we honor you in that. Um, today, before we get on into our sermon, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, if you want to turn there in your Bibles to get ahead. But we want to stop and, and pray for one of our own, Rebecca Weed, um, Becky, who is, she goes to Corbin University, and uh, she is going on a two or two and a half week mission trip to Greece uh, with, her, with her school, and she's going to uh, be in a refugee camp where they'll be taking on refugees there and, and getting them settled, getting them the supplies they need, and, uh, and have an opportunity uh, amongst themselves, amongst each other, and, and in the relationships they build to, to share Christ and to talk about the hope of Jesus with, with folks that really, really desperately need hope. So we're going to stop and pray for her and her team, and I would encourage you to be uh, prayerful uh, about her and her team throughout the next couple weeks, and we'll be sending out email updates about her, her, uh, her prayer needs there and that ways you can partner with her in prayer as well, okay? Would you pray with me now? <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for uh, the, the high calling you've given us to love you and to love others towards you. And God, as, uh, as you have called Becky and her team uh, from Corbin to go to Greece and go to minister in this refugee camp, God, I pray that you would be with them, that you would guide them and direct them. You'd, you'd provide the opportunities that they need, the divine appointments that they need, uh, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with hurting people who need hope. God, may they be the hands and feet of Jesus, loving people in, in word and in deed. God, grant them access where they need access. God, uh, may they hesitate when they need to hesitate. God, may they go all in when they need, need to go all in. We pray that you would be with them, that you would be glorified, and that people would come to know Jesus as Savior, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> all right, well, it is Mother's Day, and uh, it's time to celebrate. So moms, listen, I, I want you just to Take a breath, deep breath in, and out, you did it, okay, you got your family to church today, way to go, and uh, I know, I know how tough that can be, and how big of a a task that is, Uh, I'm glad you're here, now just relax, and and let God's word be what encourages you, and is your fuel today, as you are celebrated by your family uh, later on, so as Mother's Day uh, is here, and we celebrate it, we, uh, we celebrate we're going to celebrate and look at the, the mother of Jesus, Mary, and, and see what, what her 
uh, life looked like and, and what we can learn. And, and listen, anytime, just because it's Mother's Day and we're talking kind of about a woman, uh, right, a mother of Jesus, it's not necessarily only applicable for moms, and it's not only applicable for women, and it's, it's applicable for all of us, amen? That God's Word can transform all of our hearts and should transform, so we all ought to be listening about to, to this. But one thing that I, that I really pondered as I, as I prepared uh, for this message, and, I, and it's, it's been on my heart for years, is that motherhood is messy. And on Mother's Day in a church like this, we, we know that it's not just simple cookie-cutter moms that are sitting in the crowd, right? Not simple cookie-cutter moms that, are, that we associate with in the, in the community or in our, in our workplace or in our neighborhoods. It's not as simple as that. It's messy. And as culture uh, in America deteriorates more and more, the messier it gets. Uh, it's often expected, and here's what I mean by this, right? It's often expected that we on a Sunday morning would draw special attention to those who are moms, which is a good thing. And I want to say, moms, you rock, right? I said that. I actually called my mom after last service, and I'm on this kind of a jet lag thing, which is not really a jet lag. It's an hour difference. But for some reason, I thought we were an hour ahead of my mom, but she was actually an hour ahead of us. So I'm calling her at what I thought was 9 o'clock, and it was really 11 o'clock, thinking, oh, she's on the way to church. She's going to love a phone call from her son. It's going to be great. I'm sure she was sitting in church in the pew when I called. So moms, turn your phones on silent, please, because your son's maybe trying to call and don't have a clue what's going on, all right? <clears throat> but I already called my mom, told her, you know, you rock, and we should draw attention and honor our mothers. But at the same time, while we do that, we have to be careful because we can ostracize a segment of people that may be dealing with messy motherhood or messy womanhood, women who would be reluctant or embarrassed to stand and be honored or to grab the carnation on the way out. People that are maybe single women who desire more than anything to be married to a godly man that would lead them and to have kids. That she, she, a single woman who, who desires so much to be a mom but can't right now. Maybe women who have experienced miscarriages or stillbirths or the death of a child. It's messy, right? Stepmoms having to raise children who don't return the value that she has for them back to her but she's just as much a mother. Maybe a mom who's <clears throat> with her husband facing the adoption hurdles, right? She wants to adopt, and, but they're, they're going through these hurdles after hurdles and processes and bookkeeping and court dates and whatever else they need to do. And while they're doing that, she's just foster parent, right? And as she's a foster parent, she's trying to say, don't call me mom. I don't want to, for your health, for the child's health and well-being, don't call me mom. We'll get there one day, hopefully. Right? Maybe that's where you're at or where your friends are. Maybe parents or moms who have placed their children up for adoption for whatever reason may have come down the pike. More moms who maybe still feel the guilt or shame or emptiness from having had an abortion. Right? Or maybe wayward moms or women with wayward and distant <clears throat> or estranged grown children who don't reciprocate love. You see, motherhood is messy, isn't it? <clears throat> and womanhood, for that instance, for that, for all, all for that is, is messy as well. So for those who feel like this can be a bit messy, and, and that, that's what's been on my heart, this could be messy, I want you to know that the church is a place where those who don't feel adequate can gather. The church is a place for those who might be a little messy can gather. And I would give you permission and welcome you to bring your hurts and your anxious thoughts and your shameful past to Jesus 
and to a church family that wants to carry those burdens or help carry those burdens. Amen? So Mother's Day, yes, we honor moms, but there are lots of you out there that may be hurting in different ways on this day in particular. So we're going to look at Mary's life today and see what we can learn from Mary, the mother of Jesus, see what we can learn as moms, see what we can learn as, as women, and see what we can learn as, as Christ followers altogether. All right? Let's pray and get started. <clears throat> Father, we submit to you today. We come to you uh, ready to receive what your Holy Spirit has for us. We ask that you would soften our hearts and open our hearts and minds to be receptive to your words, that your truth would change us and challenge us. God, it would, it would correct any error in our ways. We want to be children of the Most High God. Conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, and, uh, and we're looking at these, this Mary, the mother of, of Jesus, and looking at the example she has for us in Scripture and that God has for us from Scripture. And the first thing we see is this, that there is a high calling to loving God. There's a high calling of loving God. See, I think on Mother's Day, and we, we say this, we even say, man, being a mom is a high calling. And I get that. I, I agree that's a high calling, but the highest calling is that we would love God. Let's look at the text. Uh, Luke chapter 1. We're beginning in verse 26 together. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel uh, was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. No, it's not Christmas. It's Mother's Day, right? This is the Christmas story. To a virgin, in verse 27, engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High God, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. What a, what a wonderful greeting, right? You think about a woman who's there and, and who's, who's favored by God, so there's something that she's doing that's favored. She's loving God, right? She, she embraces God and trusts God in faith. And, and God said, yeah, this woman is, is someone who is faithful to me. This woman is, who is found faithful loves me with everything she's got. It's like, like back in the days of Noah when, when God found a righteous person living, someone that, that cared about what God cared about. Mary was that woman, and she got this, this message from God saying, you are favored. And you're going to give birth to Jesus. She's like, wait, what? what, what I'm, just, I'm just doing the best I can to love you. Yeah, that, that's why I'm going to bless you. The highest calling you and I should have, any woman or, or person for that matter, is to love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength. Yes, motherhood is special, and it is to be honored, and it is unique, and has unique blessings. But what Proverbs tells us, and it's on the bookmark on the kiosk as well that you can take with you uh, as you leave, it says this, it says that the woman who fears the Lord is to be, what, praised or honored. The woman who fears the Lord is to be honored. The woman who fears the Lord is a woman who has understood her position in relationship to God. She understands and acknowledges that she is not all that. She understands and acknowledges that she is sinful just like everybody else. She has her own faults and that she has fallen so far away and outside of what God's standard would be that she has to have him as a refuge. She has to run to him for mercy and grace. He is 
their refuge, and he is our refuge. There's a work that God is ready to do in our broken and repentant hearts. See, God wants to, to take the old and take the hard-hearted heart of stone and remove it and change it and, and put in us a heart of flesh. He wants to take what was broken and scarred, and he wants to offer redemption, fixing what was broken and, and resolving what was what was destroyed. And he wants to heal what was hurt. And see, that's what God offers to us. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So in Psalm 31, 19, it says this. I want you to understand this, this difference. We think about fear. If you're to fear the Lord, what does that mean? I'm scared. I'm scared of you. My kids will do that sometimes. They'll get scared. Maybe they, they saw something on a video or they, or they just have their imagination run wild, right, before bedtime in the dark. I'm scared. And they don't want to be where it's scary. Usually when we're, we're scared of something, we fear something, we run away from it, don't we? We try to get away from that thing that was scaring us or thing that, that brings fear. But here's what Psalm 31, 19 says this. How great, in talking about God, how great is your goodness, God, right? How great is your goodness that you have stored up for those who fear you. That's interesting, isn't it? How great is your goodness, God, that you have stored up. God has stored up goodness. He stored up this hope, this joy, this healing. He stored up what we need, what our broken, unregenerate, hard hearts need. He has stored up for us. But He has stored up for us if we fear Him. And we understand that we are not God, and that He is holy, and He is pure, and we are not. That He can only accomplish what we can never do. Amen? And see, that's what God is offering, this, this goodness for those who fear Him and accomplish what He's accomplished in the sight of everyone for those who take refuge in you. See, listen, He is our refuge. When we properly fear God, we understand how broken and sinful we are because, because of our own life, because of our own sin, and in how much great need we have for a Savior, namely God. And how much goodness is there because he's offering it to us. He says, I want you to have this mercy. I want you to have this grace. I want you to have this forgiveness. I want you to be redeemed and whole and healed. And I want you to have a hope that you could never have apart from me. So he stores it up for us. That if we properly fear him and come to him empty, he will now be our refuge. He will be the calm in the storm. And that's properly fearing God. We come to him empty knowing that He is what we need. The refuge of God's goodness and grace has blessed us then, right? It's become a blessing to us. And our lives then should be lived in a way that honors Him and not ourselves. You understand that? As we, as we talk about honoring moms, we want to honor moms. But ultimately, when we, as the body of Christ, gather, we are here to honor who? The Lord Jesus Christ, above all that God would be honored, that He would be lifted up, that He would be elevated because He, in His goodness, has given us what we could never get on our own and He has become our safety and our refuge. And that is worth elevating. That is worth lifting up. We should live in a way that says, I cherish God. He is my greatest treasure. And He's the treasure that should be offered to everyone. <clears throat> so the first thing is, there's a high calling of loving God that we have. There's a high calling on every woman and every man that we would love God with all our heart soul, heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we would fear Him properly and find the goodness of God, the hope of God in Him as a refuge, and we would be saved. Number two, we see 
The response to this blessing is praise. We see a response to the blessings of God is praise. Let's go on in Luke chapter 1. Uh, skip down to verse 46 with me. <clears throat> verse 46. This is Mary's song. She was with her cousin Elizabeth, and she was uh, greeted there and, and, and so excited about what the Lord was doing in her. And, I, and I, want us, I want us to see, as we see Mary's song, I want us to see where the credit goes, right? Where does this credit go? It doesn't go to her. <clears throat> Here's what it says. And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, because he has looked with, uh, looked with me or with favor on the humble condition of his slave. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things, and he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy, just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Mary's song, right? It's her, it's her overflow of praise to who? To God. For all that he has done, that he is that refuge, that he is that mercy, that he is that grace, and for because of what his promise entails. And when, he, when she's saying this, she's not, she is obviously mentioning and talking about, thank you, God, that you have chosen me to be the carrier of your son, your son, the Messiah. But if you look at that last part of that, that prayer, that praise, it kind of takes us back to Galatians again. Right? We talk about this, that, that he has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy, just as he spoke to our ancestors. To who? To Abraham and his descendants forever. Who are Abraham's descendants? Those who would believe in Christ, right? That we say by grace through faith and not of ourselves, but of Jesus Christ alone, of what he has accomplished, not us. We become heirs <clears throat> along with Abraham's seed. So there is this family of God that is expanding. It's not just about being a mom. It's about belonging to the promise of God that he has given. And the response that we have, that, that moms should have, that women should have, that men should have, that we all should have as Christ followers, when we have found refuge in God as our Savior, our response should be praise. Moms, you should be recognized. <clears throat> but I'm sure as you grow in wisdom, as you grow <clears throat> in grace and you feel the love and blessing of God, you need and desire, your needs and desires are filled by God. You will then pour out in praise to him because of what he has done. What he has given you. How he has blessed you. Because he is good. And you will be able to say with Mary, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the Mighty One has done great things for me and his name is holy. See, that's the response of all of our heart. That should be the prayer of all of our heart, that our soul proclaims the greatness of God. The treasure of God's blessing will make us overflow in worship of Him, that people would see Jesus. <clears throat> Number three, what are we learning from Mary, the mother of Jesus? Number three is this, it takes a village to consistently nurture children. It takes a village to consistently nurture children. You know, Ryan mentioned it during his announcements, if you were here, 
Thank you to moms, but also thank you to those who may not be moms, but have been moms to somebody. Thank you to those who have nurtured and, and poured into. And I, <clears throat> I think about my life and I think about the lives of people around me and how many, how many other people besides their biological mom have poured into and invested in lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am so grateful that I have so many moms that are pouring into me and pointing me to Jesus. It takes a village to consistently nurture children. Let's uh, flip over to chapter 2 in Luke. Still in Luke, going to chapter 2. Beginning in verse 39. So Jesus had been born, and, uh, and there had been uh, some rituals that they had gone through and some things they had done to take care of business there with Jesus. And then in verse 39, it says this, When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Verse 41, every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. Uh, after those days were over, uh, and they, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Assuming he was uh, in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and their friends. Uh-oh. Jesus gets lost. <laughs> we, leave, we leave Jesus behind. And uh, it's, you can read the rest of that story and, and check that out. Jesus was about his father's business. And, uh, and this was a special time. It was kind of this bar mitzvah age where he, was, he could have been with the men, the group of men. He could have been traveling with the women. He could have been with the kids. You kind of didn't know. But, but listen, I, I, Mary and Joseph are awesome. Their relatives are probably awesome. But every, every parent knows there's a rule. Okay, When you hand a kid off, you let the person you're handing them off to know that they're being handed off, right? Hey, you're watching my kid now. I'm leaving. You're in charge. That's what we do. So maybe that could have been done a little better. We were in Montana, and we did that, you know, we're <clears throat> with my dad. And I say, hey, we're leaving. We're stepping outside. We're going over here. Dad, Dad, come on right here. Look here. You're in charge of the children. You have authority over them. You have responsibility for them. I'm handing them off to you. Dad, hello. You're in charge of my kids, <clears throat> Okay. And we're leaving, we're backing up, watching, is he really in charge of the kids, right? <clears throat> of course, when I was at my mom's house, my mom's like, Brandon, look at me, Brandon, I, Brandon, I'm in charge of your kids, get out of here. I'm in charge, I've got this, go, I'm grandma, go away. I'm like, okay, sounds good. So you, you see, there, there's a handoff that has to happen, though, isn't there? You have to hand them off and let them know that they were just handed off to you. That's the responsible thing to do, whether you're a parent or an aunt or uncle or a cousin or just a nurturer alongside, part of the, part of the traveling party. If you're in charge of that kid, you better know that, okay? Because if you don't, boy, Jesus might stay behind in Jerusalem that day. <clears throat> but it does take a village, doesn't it? It takes a village to raise children. And one of the things that I said is it's about consistent nurturing. So parents, this is super important. But for all of us, this is super important that we are consistent in the way we nurture and disciple and encourage those around us, that we would nurture them in a way that is the same all the time. It's so important for parents to be on the same page when we talk about discipline and, and guiding our kids so they can grow up not bouncing off the walls crazy with no, no direction, right? No structure. We want to give them structure. And, and, and listen, children and young people are longing for structure. They're longing for discipline. They're longing for rules so they know where the line is drawn. Yeah, they might want to cross it. Yeah, they might cross it. Yeah, they might jump all over it. But there's a line drawn, and they want that line to be drawn. 
Consistency is the key in this. And look at what, what they did. The Scripture says, when they had completed everything according to the law, the parents did the best they could to be consistent in the, in the faith that they had grown up in. They were consistent in that. They had done everything according to the law. Then it says in verse 41, every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover. Every year. It wasn't just when he was 12 years old. It was every single year. They were consistent. This is what we believe as a family. This is what we do as a family. Be consistent. Your kids need that or they won't have the structure that they require. Then, then only, not only consistent, being consistent is important, but the village aspect of it is, of it is important, right? We see in this text that they, they thought, well, they're assuming, because it takes a village to raise the children, that the village has the child. Someone in this traveling party has the kids. They're with some other relatives or friends, aunts and uncles. That they've got it covered, right? And, and it's, the implication there is that we need each other for that. We need to take care of each other. And listen, I, I think that, that there are times where some of these moms, I've, I've made this list of, of you that might be moms, quote unquote, maybe you miscarried or maybe you're longing, longing to be a mom, but you can't find a good man, right? You, you don't stop nurturing young people. And maybe you're in, your, in the middle of your life and your kids have left the house. Don't stop nurturing them and don't stop nurturing other young people. The job isn't over. We don't just get our kids, and that's, that's the greatest blessing in the world. God gives us lots of people all around us to nurture and love and, and to be the village for. As the family of God, we are to be the family of God. I need you. I want you to invest in Wesley and Bailey, my children. I need that. They need that. Because it takes a village to raise a child, children. It takes a village to take care of the village, even older children. I, I, need, I need it. I need nurturing and encouragement. I need discipleship from you, and you need that from me. We need that for each other. It takes that consistent nurturing to happen. Now, I want you to turn to Titus with me. We're done here. Uh, go to Titus chapter 2, please. Just after um, the Galatian Ephesians epistles, and after Timothy, you got the Thessalonians, you got Timothy, and then you got Titus. Titus chapter 2. Now, I need you to, to listen and, and hear me in this, ladies. I, I, you know, I told you to take a deep breath earlier. We let it out. We've relaxed a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of scripture that's really tough to read. And this is one of those passages, I want you to understand, this is one of those passages uh, women's liber liberation movements will take and say, look how oppressive Christianity is to women. Your place, they say, look, they think your place is in the kitchen uh, making sandwiches and making babies. That's what, you're, that's what you should be doing. How oppressive is that? And I want us to, you need to hear me, because you, you could read that and say, man, this is pretty oppressive. It's not. And we'll see how this is freeing and how this is empowering as we go. Titus chapter 2 Verses, well, let's start in verse 1, because I want us to, to see this is not just a one-sided coin, okay? Let's start in verse 1. Uh, but you must speak what is consistent with sound teaching. Verse 2, older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, uh, and sound in faith and endurance. Verse 3, in the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to much wine, they are to teach what is good, so they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and children, to be sensible, pure, good homemakers, and submissive to their husbands, so that, that God's message will not be slandered. 
Now we read that like, oh man, they do want me in an apron and, a, and a, making sandwiches and making babies all my life. No, that's, that's not all they want you to do. Okay, it's not an oppressive thing. Some would think that these words from Paul and ultimately these words from the Lord would be a call for women who are so delicate and so feeble that they're meant for nothing else. And that's so far from the truth, and that would be culturally oppressive. This is all you can manage. This is all you can, you can do. And that's not what Scripture is saying here. I want us to, I'm going to read a, read a verse out of Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 10. And I, I want you to understand this um, from, from the perspective of a man looking at his, his bride or bride-to-be or his, or, and, and looking at, of course, maybe the future mom of his kids. Ladies, I want you to understand that, that if, if you have a, a good husband at home, a husband who realistically understands and sees what you do with your children and with your, your household, this is the jaw-dropping like, like thing that we ought to be doing, men. Here's what it says. Who is this? With, with jaw-dropped, we're saying this. Who is this who shines like the dawn, as beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awe-inspiring as an army with banners? You see, listen, ladies, this is how us men view you. This is how Scripture views you, that you are not some feeble woman who is only good in the kitchen and with kids. But we look at you with our jaws on the floor because we know we could never even measure up to how awesome you are and how amazing you are and how inspiring you are and how powerful and strong you are. When he says that you women are as inspiring as an army with banners, that's pretty inspiring. That's pretty amazing to me. That's not oppressive language, is it? That's language that says, whoa, whoa, you got to watch out. You know, when Adam, this is a joke that goes back, but, but God saw, saw um, the human he had made, and he, he named him man, right? And then Adam got the name Eve, right? And I think what uh, the, the joke is that he looked at Eve, and he's like, whoa, man, whoa, man. Because that's the truth. We look at, we look at our wives, and, and, and for my wife, too, we look, at, we look at you, and we say, wow. How is it that you do that? Listen, I, I just got back from vacation, okay? And I get to see what my wife does every day with our children, with our home. And I, I'm like, wow, this is no vacation. This is no walk in the park. And I already knew that. I know that. that there's, I have so much respect for my wife and for women. It's amazing. And, and listen, this is, this is coming from, from a guy who loves kids, is pretty good with people, and, and just loves to, to hug and, and nurture and, and guide kids as well. This is, that's who I am. But I look at my wife and it's like, I can't believe how God has made you and wired you up. It's amazing. And that's coming from a gal, and I asked her permission to share this, who never wanted to babysit in her life. Okay, my wife was the one who was at the last, at the bottom of the list. If it's a real emergency and you, you stipulate to these conditions, she'll babysit. Those conditions were, I'll babysit if I'm the last person you called or could call, right, and... The kids are asleep during the time that I'm there. I'll do, it, I'll do it overnight. If I don't have to talk to them or interact with them, they're asleep, we're good. Otherwise, uh-uh, right? And now she has two kids that she adores and loves and nurtures, and I, I just, and my jaw drops to the floor 
in what she is able to do. It's not that she's just made for a little bit. She's, she's made for nothing less than that. These words are instructions not for delicate or feeble women. It's not that women are fit for nothing else. It's that they are fit for nothing less. The investment and encouragement, training and discipleship of children and other women younger in the faith are to be your primary battle stations, your call to arms, ladies, and as a place to always launch from. It's a, it's a bar that's been raised very high, and that's where you stand and can, and can go as high as you want to from that position and that place. You are fit from nothing, for nothing less. You know, we talk about this, and I want, you, I want to give an example of this in our own church. We have, we have a nursery that's in need of people, nurturers, to, to help watch and care for our young kids so that, that parents and, and couples or singles can, can be here and be fed the Word of God un, without distraction. And certainly we welcome children here, but you know how it is sometimes. We get in here, and it's crying and whining. And it's okay. We love them, right? But, but we look at the nursery, and, it, it, and to me, it, that, is a, that is one of the, if you asked me, what was the most important thing, or, one, or on the list of the top three most important things for our church on Sunday morning, that's on it. That's on it. That nursery is on it. And that shows you how highly I think of that position. And I think sometimes we think, well, you're just, you just want me to fill in for nursery. Really? Nursery? That's the duty you want to give me? The lowliest job there is? No, that's, that's not the lowliest job there is. That's the, the highest job there is. It's the, it's, it, to me, it's one of the most important things we can do is to nurture and love young people and to build those relationships with other people's kids so that we can become the village that we need to be in. And maybe it's on your heart to do that. Great, sign up and do it. Call us at the office and let us know. We need more helpers in our nursery rotation. And to me, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful calling. It's not a feeble, kind of oppressive thing that, ladies, you are amazing in the nursery. And there are actually some guys that are very amazing in the nursery. But ladies, come on, right? You are, you are amazing. You are amazing. And, and, and there are things that in today's society and culture, the reason that's oppressive is because the culture so badly wants to say that women can be and should be the same as men. Guess what? We aren't the same. We are different, but... but it does not mean we are not equal. Sameness has nothing to do with equality. I, I, I cherish and am in awe about what you women, what my, my wife can do with our household, our family, our children. It amazes me how my kids respond to my wife or, my kid, or, or your kids respond to you versus their dad. We're different, and that's okay. But you're still equal. And this is a, a jumping place, a launching platform we are a community and a family of God. And we must be about investing in each other to nurture those around us. So men, that means men, older men should teach, teach the younger. And women, that means older women should teach the younger. And we should nurture the kids that God has brought into our life because that is what helps them grow and develop those boundaries and helps them understand and love and fear the Lord God. So, so ladies, I hope you hear my heart and the heart of Scripture today. This calling is not oppressive. You can be, your, you can be a CEO. You can, you can go to drive the awesome, most awesome cars and, and be in these cool careers and do those things. But man, it is amazing that when, when guys, when your husband looks at you or your, maybe your dad looks at you as a mom and says, wow, you rock. 
you are awesome. And my, my jaw drops because of that. And I think that I would, I would echo what, Sol- what, what the, the Song of Solomon says here. Who is this woman who shines like the dawn, as beautiful as the moon, as bright as the sun, as awe-inspiring as an army with banners? And you know, you and I both know that that's just talking about a woman. You know how much more deliberate and formidable they will become as mothers, right? You don't get between a mama bear and her cubs. They become more and more formidable and deliberate as mothers. Let's go to number four. What do we learn from from Mary? Continual humility gives us the right perspective. Continual humility gives us the right perspective. You see, in order to embrace what we just read, we have to have some humility in our heart, right? We think that I'm not all that, that I'm not the one that should be elevated because God is the one who should be elevated. And if God is the one who who should be elevated, then I should decrease and I should humble myself and look to Him for the answer, look to Him for the direction. If I want to be all that, and I want to be proud and, and, and have, have great, great esteem about myself and be all self-absorbed, then yes, I will find Scripture oppressive. I'll find Jesus oppressive. I'll find the words that He says to be uh, contradictory to what I believe. But if I would humble myself, I would, I would develop the right perspective. So go to John. We're going to go to, to the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <clears throat> And we're going to look at the, uh, the first miracle that Jesus performed. And that was at the wedding in Cana. So we're in chapter 2 of John, looking at verses 1 through 4 to start. Okay, So the point is that continual humility gives us the right perspective. Now Mary knew. Mary had been approached by the angel and said, "This you're highly favored. God's going to bless you. You're going to be the mother of Jesus. The Messiah is going to come out of you. And she's like, wow, God is amazing, right? Goes on about her life, has normal struggles. She's a mom. She's not perfect, right? She is a normal human being that has flaws, a normal mom. And here, here's a sign, kind of the signs of an area where she, she was humbled and, and developed the right perspective. It says this, chapter 2, verse 1, starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When, the, when the, the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Ooh, man, the son talking to his mom like that. That is no good. Let's talk about this real quick. Let's just talk about what's going on. There's this wedding happening. Likely, it's in the region where Jesus grew up. It's, I think it's like six miles away. It's, really, it's, it's probably someone that's in his family because uh, his mom, it says his mom was there. It didn't incor- incorporate her and the family, and, and we all got invited to the wedding. It's like his mom was there, and Jesus and his, and his bros were invited. So his mom was likely there to help the groom's side in and, and providing tasty treats and wine and making sure that things were taken care of. And so that was why it was a burden. Mary just didn't come up for to chit-chat with Jesus, say, hey, <laughs> they ran out of wine. She's like, Jesus, Jesus, this is my responsibility. They just ran out of wine. you got to do something. you got to do something for me. Now, see, and this is, this is good. This is okay because moms, you, you need to rely on your kids, right? What happens when, something, when, when, when your son outgrows you and there's something on the top shelf, who do you call? Your firstborn, right? You call your son. Come over here. Come here. Help me get this off the top shelf. Right? And, and sons, and they get stronger and bigger than their moms, and they're, they're able to do more things. Right? And then moms kind of 
Say, come on, you're my, you're my guy I'm going I'm to use for this thing. And that's great. We, listen, us sons love that. We love to be used in that way by our, our parents and our moms to help and assist. That's what we should do. So moms can kind of get in that place like, hey, you're still my son. You're still my boy. I know you're 30, but I'm going to tell you what is going on today. I'm going to tell you what you need to do today, right? I'm, I'm over 30, and my mom still wants to do that sometimes with me. So Mary comes up to Jesus, and she's like, Jesus, listen, you are the Messiah. I know this. That God, the angel told me through that, through, or God told me through the angel, you're the Messiah. I know things are about to go down, okay? And basically she's saying, Jesus, perfect opportunity to help out your mom. Let's get this party started, Let's get going with this. Let's, let's make sure not only this party, the wedding goes good for me, but let's, let's make sure that your, your messiahship comes out. Let's, let's make this the time to do it. That's what she was implying because later on Jesus says, my time has not yet come yet. I'm not, I'm not ready to go to the cross. I've got to be careful about this. And, and what Jesus was saying is, listen, there, there's been a break now in our relationship. Yes, we have a familial bond. Yes, you're my mother. But, but my allegiance is to the Father in heaven alone. That, that, that's whose will I am looking to follow right now, is the Father in heaven. So mom wanted to kind of lord it over because she's mom, and, and moms can do that sometimes, right? And, they, and we, we're okay with that as, as children most of the time. But Jesus is like, wait, 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 wait. Mom, this is not about you. This is about what God wants. And my time has not yet come. And what he's saying in that instance was this, um, and you see this in the Scripture all through the, the uh, New Testament, through the Gospels. Jesus kind of liked to play a cat and mouse game. With the, with the religious leaders. You know, over here, he'd make a big commotion and heal a bunch of people, or he'd turn water into wine, and then, then he'd leave. There was a commotion. They'd like, what, what just happened there? Well, I don't know. But people would believe in him there, and the Pharisees were like, what's going on? Then he'd come over to the Pharisees, and he'd start teaching in the temple, or he'd start conversing in the temple and having discussions about the very scriptures that they believed in. So it wasn't really that threatening, but they were kind of feeling threatened because he was talking a little differently than they thought he should. And ultimately, this cat and mouse game goes on for three years, and Jesus finally says, enough's enough. I'm God in the flesh. I'm here to forgive sins, and you are all sons of hell unless you believe in me. Then they crucified him because they didn't like that. And his time had come. And then he rose from the dead because he went to the cross for my sins, not for his own sins. He was God in the flesh who lived, who died, who rose again, conquering death so you and I could be forgiven because he offers a righteousness that we could not achieve. He achieved it for us through his blood. You see that, so the blood that he offers is to draw us into this family of God, this new family of God. And what he was telling his mom was, yes, blood is thicker than water, kind of sometimes, but my blood is the thickest of all. And what the Father is going to do through me is the most important, and what the family he's going to develop through me is more important than our family and my, my willingness or my obedience to submit to what you want, Mom. And Mary knew that. I'm not saying Mary's not like in a bad position here. She just kind of stepped in. Like, this would be a great opportunity. Please help me out. Let's do this. And she's like, okay, wait, step back. This is Jesus. He's the Messiah. He has marching orders from above. And, and, and she understood that. She knew that. But for you and I, this humility will give us perspective. If we get humbled, it gives us a perspective. We have to step back from ourselves. Say, okay, I'm not the boss. I'm not in charge. I'm not in control. I can't have it all my way. Wait, what does God want? And maybe look at a different perspective through the lenses of what God has given us. And, and what I want to show here is this. Uh, the, the new family, this new blood that Jesus is offering is more important. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, but Matthew chapter 12, I'll read this passage, verses 46 through 50. 
While he was still speaking to the crowds, that's Jesus, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, hey, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and wanting to, they're wanting to speak with you. Jesus replied to the one who was speaking with him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Ooh. Stretching out his hands toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see, there was something new coming in. There's a newness happening. And Jesus, yes, Jesus was Mary's son. And, and yes, there was a blood bond there. But listen, we understand when the gospel becomes present and real for you and I, that the gospel will divide even the thickest of blood, won't it? The gospel divides son from mother, daughter from father, sister from brother. The gospel divides because people don't want Jesus. So when we come to know Jesus and come to, come to him in faith and he forgives us and redeems us, we become part of the new family of God. The gospel divides blood relationships, but the blood of Christ unites us as a new family. And that family has a responsibility to one another. That we would have the right perspective, that we are a family, that, that we are all in it together to love and nurture and care for each other. And that's, that's what we get when we humble ourselves and step back and say, oh, it's not about me and what I want, it's about what God wants for his body, the church. And that leads us to the final part of this story, in point number five. We must point people to Jesus. We must point people to Jesus. And Mary wanted that. This mother wanted that. She knew who, his son, who her son was. She knew that people needed to go to him in faith. She knew that. So look what happens in verse 5. She just kind of was taken aback, right? Oh, okay, Jesus just rebuked me. And by the way, that rebuke, you, know, you, don't, you don't dare today in today's day and age call a female woman, right? You don't, you don't talk to her and say, woman, this is what I want. You don't say that. That is not okay to say. The proper Greek translation, all right, the, the, real, the real translation here, it, it was a respectful rebuke. He basically said, listen, ma'am, I'm, I'm not, it's not mother. I'm not going to submit to what you want as my blood relative. But ma'am, what does this have to do with me? I'm, I'm, I'm following mar marching orders from somewhere else. It was a respectful rebuke. I wanted you to, to know that, okay, that, that Jesus said. Then look at what, what she does in verse 5. She steps back. And she looks over to the disciples, do, do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. And she's like, you know what? No longer is it me going to request this of Jesus and say, come on, you're my son. Reach the top thing in the, in the closet. Uh, make, this, make this water into wine or do something for us. Come out, come out and make sure people know that you are the Messiah right now. Or she's not going to tell her servants, hey, go, go downtown and get all this stuff. She's like, I'm going to step back and say, okay, listen. Whatever he says, that's what you should do. That's what you should do. Any good mom will know that pointing people to Jesus is the best thing they can do. Pointing their children to Jesus, pointing their friends to Jesus is the best thing they can do. Hey, anything he says, you should do that. And look at verse 11. Now, he did change the water into wine, and then verse 11 says this. Jesus performed this first sign in Cana of Galilee. He displayed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Those, those first initial guys he called to follow him that were there at the wedding and invited with their kind of brothers. And yeah, we're going we're gonna to be in this new family. They, they saw and his glory revealed and understood who he was. 
and they believed in him. You see, when we take a back seat to Jesus and say, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to be in charge anymore. I'm not going to be um, the mother that has to have it her way. I'm going to let God do what he's going to do in my life and in the lives of my children and, and, and through me and the lives of people in my, in my faith community. When we take that back seat, we, we have the opportunity then to point people to Jesus and say, listen, do whatever he says. Do what, you do what he wants. You'll be, you'll be good. You'll be taken care of if you do what he says. You know, I, every, every week, I understand and see how deeply inadequate I am as a person to counsel someone in the best way or to, to give the best piece of advice. But what it does show me is every week in, week in and week out, time and time again, what it shows me is that I know someone who does have the best advice. I know someone who does save, who does forgive, who does heal, who does redeem. I can't convince you of those things for your own heart, but Jesus can. And it's best for me and for you as Christ followers to step back and say, you know what, you should go talk to Jesus. Do whatever he says. And as you see his glory revealed, as people see his glory revealed, they will find hope in Christ and believe and be saved. There's hope. There's hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without it, there's no hope. And that's why today, yes, we thank you as moms. You are amazing. You rock. But today we honor and lift up Jesus Christ like most of you moms who are in here do every day anyway. Every day you, you say, God, thank you for the privilege it is to be a mom. You're amazing for sustaining me. You're amazing for sustaining me. Please sustain me tomorrow because i got to do it all over again. And you give, it, you give it to Jesus. You give it to Jesus. And that's where we find our hope. So for those of you who are moms, we thank you for the epic task that you have, have embraced. And we acknowledge your sacrifice and your love for the Lord. And we praise God because of you. And for those of you who have maybe not had the privilege of being a mom who stands up and is honored and has the token or the flower, I want to say this. Maybe you found redemption in Jesus after having had an abortion or, or you found healing in Jesus after you've miscarried one or multiple children. For those of you who are only stepmoms or foster moms hoping to adopt and have you found strength in Jesus and grace in Jesus, we recognize you too because God is honored in that. And our hope is that the flower you pick up on the way out is a reminder of who, of who your refuge is, that your refuge is in Jesus. And we honor him today. And he is the one who holds us up by his grace and by his mercy. He is our Lord Jesus Christ. And to him, be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, let's stand and pray together. <clears throat> Father, I am so grateful for the love you have given us through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I'm, I'm grateful as, as a man, as a son, as a husband, as a father for the women that you have brought into my life. Whether it be my biological mom who loved me and pointed me to Jesus or whether it was my grandma or, or whether it was, was women involved in my church communities that pointed me to Jesus and His grace. God, I am so thankful for the investment they made, whether I was actually a biological son or not. I thank you that as I look out at my church family, I know that I have many mothers and many brothers and sisters in the faith that we are bound together by the blood of Christ who gave Himself for us. And for that, we are thankful. God, guide us as we go. May 
May you increase as we decrease. May we elevate you and thank, thank you for you and not try to be in the limelight. We honor you. We praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.